Jenna Ellis in the morning on American Family Radio. One of the president's ride-or-die defenders is legal advisor Jenna Ellis. It's such a political prosecution and a political persecution. Quote. This to me is a clear violation of the Fourth Amendment. It's revisionist originalism. Tolerance just isn't a two-way street with the Democrats. And I think that tells you all we need to know. Newsmax contributor and former legal counsel to President Trump. Jenna Ellis. Well, good morning. Good morning. I want to get right to my first guest, who is, of course, going to become a regular on the show, which is my good friend, Congressman Jim Jordan. And uh, a lot of subpoenas are already flying on Congressional uh, Hill. So the House Judiciary subpoenas FBI Director Ray on a targeting of parents at school board meetings. This is really exciting, I think, uh, Congressman Jim Jordan, to finally uh, get some answers and uh, look at the education issue. So how is this going? And thank you for all of the work that you're doing. You bet. Well, you bet, Jim. Thanks for all the good work you're doing. Um, yeah, remember, we've now had over a couple dozen whistleblowers come talk to us about how political the Justice Department has become. And one of those very first ones came to us regarding the school board issue. And understand the, the facts there, and I know you do, but but, but remember the facts. The, the September 29th of 2021, the National School Board Association sends a letter to the Attorney General saying, treat parents as domestic terrorists. Five days later, on October uh, 4th, the attorney general does that, sets up a dedicated line of threat communication, sets up a national hotline, a snitch line, where people could report parents for showing up at school board meetings, speaking up for their son or daughter. And then 16 days after that, the FBI sends out an email with saying, put this designation on anyone reported on this snitch line, put this threat tag label on a parent's name. And as a result of all that, 20-some different parents were paid a visit by the FBI for simply going to a school board meeting and advocating for their, for their son or daughter. So that, that is scary stuff, and that's why we sent these subpoenas asking for all the communications, interagency communications between the Justice Department, the White House, the FBI and the Department of Education, and frankly, also communications between those entities and the people who are running the National School Boards Association, because we think it's going to show, Jenna, that the letter was simply the pretext to do what the administration wanted to do, which was target moms and dads. And I think they did it all because they wanted, you know, they thought it was going to help them in the, in the Terry McAuliffe, uh, uh, Glenn Youngkin governor's race in Virginia. Turned out they were wrong. It actually helped Glenn Youngkin become the next governor of, of the state of Virginia. Yeah, this just seems like total bullying by the DOJ and the FBI. And even for that kind of a pretext, uh, what do you expect to find uh, in terms of their at at all kind of justification as the DOJ to pay parents a visit for simply showing up at a school board meeting that, if I'm not wrong, is open uh, to parents to come and air their concerns? And that's exactly why school board meetings exist. Yeah. Our, our real concern, like, like one of the parents visited was a mom uh, who was in the, uh, the group. And the reason she got reported uh, the, when the FBI investigated, they found out the person that reported said, well, I reported her because uh, she's in the group Moms for Liberty and their family has firearms. Well, for goodness sake, that's ha- that's half the people I represent. I mean, that, that just describes so many people across this great country. So, w- w- And the scary thing is the chilling impact that has. So so think about it. You're, you're, you're a dad getting ready to – you're thinking about going to a school board meeting tonight. You're thinking about speaking up about a curriculum issue or something going on at your local school. And you say, you know what, I'm going to go. But, you know, maybe second thoughts, I won't speak up or maybe I won't even go because I know that Mrs. Smith down the road 
got a visit from the FBI three weeks ago. I mean, that's that's the danger. And I think that's that that's that's the thing that concerns me most is this this chilling impact it has on First Amendment free speech rights. So um, we think we're going to find because we've already seen some of this. We know there was some communication prior to the letter ever being sent between the school board association, the White House and the Justice Department, even before September 29, 2021, when they sent the initial letter. And again, because we function from this idea that the letter was simply the pretext to do what they wanted. So they choreographed it all, got the letter sent, and then put this, this into place. Now, also remember, Jenna, the attorney general has not rescinded his, his directive and rescinded that memo. Even though the school board's association has apologized, they said we regret and apologize for our letter. So the school board association has pulled back from their letter, but the attorney general has kept his memorandum in place and this, uh, this snitch line uh, process in place. I'm talking with uh, Congressman Jim Jordan uh, about these subpoenas to the DOJ. And, you know, Congressman, uh, this is having a chilling effect. And I think that is the intended and obviously intended effect uh, to have parents recontemplate and second guess whether or not they should show up at these school board meetings. So is the goal here uh, ultimately legislation around this that would functionally resend this letter or to uh, or to eventually subpoena Attorney General Merrick Garland and ask him uh, in the context of a committee hearing to rescind that letter or why he hasn't or that directive? Yeah, the, 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 the goal is is uh, legislative solutions to this problem. Look, we actually think the government in many ways is now, instead of serving the people it's supposed to serve, it's targeting those people. It's been weaponized against the, the citizens of this great country. So, yeah, we will look for things that we think make sense legislatively um, you know, for for example, does does the FBI it now has two functions? It's got this intelligence function as as well as the, the, the you know, investigating the, the crime. So, does it really need to have that broad of a mandate? There are other things we can we can look at as well. So, yeah, we we always think that when you do this investigations, uh, do the investigations and do the oversight, it's it's you want that information. You get that information because it will help you in the legislative fixes that need to come into place so that you don't have this double standard, so that you don't have unequal application of the law, and you don't have any type of political activity uh, at, at, our, uh, at, our, at our nation's Justice Department. I think a lot of moms and dads are very grateful for that, and certainly a lot of parents and grandparents uh, listen into this program and are very concerned um, here on American Family Radio Network. And so if uh, they're listening in and they have been a target um, of this type of uh, impact and and unfair uh, oversight by the FBI or um, have even contemplated whether or not to go to their own school board because of this, uh, where can they contact you or contact uh, someone to be a part of uh, of whistleblowing or just giving yeah. you um, other information? No, great, great question. Uh, yeah, if, 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 you've, uh, if you've been the target or, um, you know, been paid a visit or if you know about this and, and, and want to share some information with it, just contact the House Judiciary Committee, Republican staff, um, uh, and, and we, will, uh, we, we will love to get the information from you um, that, that can help us with our, with our work uh, on this committee. We, we have our first hearing scheduled for uh, Thursday um, where we're going to start to, I think, show the country what what's been going on at the Justice Department and the impact it's had on on First Amendment free uh, free speech rights. And so this is the uh, 
this is the committee on the um, or the select subcommittee on the weaponization yep. of the federal government. Okay, so that looks yep. like um, it's the 12 p.m. Eastern time, um, Thursday, February 9th, and hopefully uh, that will be broadcast as well, and so uh, people can tune in and parents can hear that. And um, are there any other um, committee hearings that you know that are that are coming up or that uh, yep. you have specifically scheduled or are looking yep. at? Well, uh, there's one tomorrow, actually, um, uh, Wednesday at, at 10, where this is in the Oversight Committee. This is Chairman Comer's, uh, uh, the chair of that committee. But we have three representatives from Twitter. And, of course, the Twitter files are part of this weaponization effort, too, because that's where big government colluded with, with big tech to keep information from the American people. So uh, tomorrow you'll have um, uh, three individuals, uh, including uh, Jim Baker, who was former chief counsel at the FBI, who went, went to Twitter and was deputy chief counsel there. Uh, he'll be one of the witnesses, as well as two others from Twitter. So we think that could be a, a pretty informative hearing, too, particularly in light of all the information, valuable information we got uh, because of Elon Musk releasing the, uh, the Twitter files. Yeah, and, and that was just another instance of uh, censorship and chilling free speech as well. I mean, even, you know, I've had a few Twitter bans over literally nothing. Uh, this was prior to Elon's ownership. Yeah. And I can say yeah. personally, it had a chilling effect where I would say, yeah. okay, do I really want to tweet this, you know, against the Biden administration, even though it's totally an opinion? But you just wonder yeah. how do the people in Twitter uh, view that and how are they going to uh, potentially come back and give me a Twitter strike? And so, you know, this, this yeah. type of thing, especially seeing that, um, internally what's going on, um, I, I think absolutely needs to come to the fore. And um, and speaking of being transparent, um, what is your take in just the last couple of minutes I have with you, Congressman Jordan, um, about the Chinese spy balloon situation? I mean, this was something that I said yesterday I did not have on my 2023 bingo card <laughs> to have yeah, you know this type yeah, of yeah. Um, an instance happen where especially that this type of balloon could literally traverse the entire continental United United States uh, before yeah. Biden did anything about it. And it doesn't even seem like he was intending to inform the American people until it got out anyway. Well, Jenna, come, come on. This was a weather balloon and the virus <laughs> didn't start in a lab. And I mean, I, I, so uh, the idea is that, that the Chinese first said that is just like laughable. I mean, the same people told us that it was a bat to a penguin to a hippopotamus and then to, to Joe Rogan. And then we all get, you know, the, 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 the virus. I mean, so um, but but you're right. The big takeaway is why did our commander in chief allow this thing to just keep just keep doing, you know, surveilling and coming across the, the entire country? Makes no sense. Uh, you and I both know that that President Trump would have shot this thing down on day one. Um, uh, but but for some reason, Joe Biden did. And so I think this was done to test us, to embarrass us and to learn from us. And uh, I, I think, unfortunately, they, the, the Chinese probably probably, um, you know, reach their objective on all three of those, which is which is the saddest part of all. So I don't get it. I don't know why it was allowed to happen. Um, and, uh, you, you know, maybe uh, maybe we'll learn from this. But I think the, the 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 biggest takeaway of all is this is why you have to project strength from the Oval Office like um, like President Trump did. Um, and unfortunately, I, I just don't think Joe Biden's doing that. 
No, and I, I don't think he uh, is going to project uh, strength or confidence or the truth uh, tonight at the State of the Union either. So, uh, you know, that'll be really interesting to see. And, of course, he released his uh, his preview of, of his speech. Yeah. And I'm just ready for him to actually say pause in brackets. And so, uh, you know, and, and yeah. have those cues and <laughs> say those out loud. So we'll see what he does. But I know that you need to run this morning. And Congressman Jim Jordan, always appreciate you dropping by the show. Yeah. Thank you again for uh, your great work. And we'll, we will be uh, watching that hearing on Thursday very closely. So good luck. You bet. Thank you. Take care. Thank you. And, uh, you know, we need to be praying for uh, people like Congressman Jim Jordan who are on the front lines and are in this fight. And um, I know just from speaking with him and speaking with, uh, you know, a lot of the people that work in his office, um, that they are very dedicated to getting these answers. And I know it seems like to a lot of us that are on the sidelines and we're just watching Capitol Hill that, you know, we have all these questions. Are they really going to find out information? What will be done? Uh, But the purpose, as Congressman Jordan um, said, is that this type of oversight, especially when it comes to parents and the chilling of speech, really the remedy here and the reason that the Constitution provides for legislative oversight is that first word, legislation, and to make sure that uh, that Congress can look at what's going on in the executive branch, they can look at what's going on around the country, and they can provide solutions legislatively that will rein in uh, the executive branch from uh, doing all of these kinds of um, very unconstitutional actions and uh, not only targeting parents, but quelling free speech on social media, all kinds of things. And so uh, hopefully that type of legislation can be a bipartisan solution because hopefully, hopefully, there are some rational Democrats out there. So I, and I know, I know that you're laughing, that rational and Democrat is an oxymoron. But just maybe there will be enough of the Democrats uh, in the Senate that would allow for a bipartisan measure to actually pass to say, yeah, of course, parents have a right to be concerned about their child's education and to go uh, to these school board meetings and uh, to make sure that their voice is heard and they know what their children are being taught in schools. And that, of course, is why a lot of um, parents have chosen to homeschool. And, of course, you all know that um, I'm an advocate not only for school choice, but also to get a government out of the education business and to not have government-funded schools, but to have uh, parents really choose the best education for their children and uh, to be able to truly parent and not co-parent with the government. So um, I really appreciate Congressman Jim Jordan and, you know, all the great people that are working on Capitol Hill. Uh, But we want to talk more about this uh, Chinese spy balloon and exactly uh, what happened. I know it is laughable that they suggested that this is a weather balloon. So uh, coming up after the break, um, Senator Bob Hall from Texas um, is a an expert on EMPs and why he believes that this was a trial balloon, but for a very different reason. So coming right up after the break here on Jenna Ellis in the morning. Let's see, if something costs less, but people are happier with it, that sounds like something to look into, and that's MediShare. Maybe you've heard switching to MediShare to pay for health care can save the typical family 500 bucks a month, and that's huge. But it's also true that people are way more satisfied 
after making the switch, too. The customer satisfaction rate for MediShare is double that of the typical health insurance plan. Double. MediShare works. It's been around for more than a quarter century, and members have shared more than $3 billion of each other's bills. People love having telehealth and a huge nationwide PPO network. So, yeah, you can save a ton and like it better. Imagine being happy with how you're taking care of your health care. So if you're self-employed or part of the gig economy or you just want a plan you're happy with, you can call right now and get a price within two minutes. A very, very smart use of two minutes. Here's the number you need. 833-44-BIBLE. That's 833-44-BIBLE. 833-44-BIBLE. This is Pause to Pray. A chance each day to stop down from the daily noise of life and pray for our country's leaders. Today, we pray for Brett Kavanaugh, Associate Justice of the Supreme Court of the United States. The Supreme Court is the highest court in our federal judiciary, overseeing cases involving constitutional law. Psalm 106.3 reminds us of the importance of justice. Blessed are they who observe justice, who do righteousness at all times. Right now, with this in mind, let's pray together. Almighty God, We ask for guidance for Justice Brett Kavanaugh in his work on the Supreme Court. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Pause to Pray is a service of this station and the Presidential Prayer Team, a nonprofit, nonpartisan ministry dedicated to encouraging prayer for our nation's leaders. To learn more, go to pausetopray.org. Hello, Americans. I'm Todd Stern. Stand by for news and commentary next. Liberty University's K-12 Online Academy is the best of a homeschool, private school, and Bible-based education all rolled into one. With LUOA, you can take charge of your child's learning environment and create a structured yet flexible schedule that works for your family. Our qualified teachers are easily accessible for guidance and support along the way. And with new classes starting every Monday, it's never too late to make the switch to LUOA. To learn more, text LUOA to 88741. That's LUOA to 88741. A high school swimmer in Morristown, New Jersey, was disqualified from a race because he had an American flag patch on his swimming cap. Rob Miller says his 16-year-old son wore the patch to honor his grandfather. He died in the Muslim terrorist attacks in 2001. It wasn't until after the 400-meter free relay that a coach from the other team raised a stink. The national organization that oversees swimming and diving does have a rule stating American flags are not to exceed 2 inches by 3 inches. It turns out the teenager's flag was 0.2 inches too big. Mr. Miller said his blood was boiling. Had his son not been disqualified, the team would have won their swim meet on senior night. You know, I can't help but wonder if that coach would have raised an issue had Mr. Miller's son been wearing a rainbow flag instead of old glory. I'm Todd Starnes. Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the Morning on American Family Radio. Well, the so-called weather balloon uh, over the United States that traversed the entire length of the United States before getting shot down. And, and I just I have to laugh at that because it's just so remarkably absurd that the Biden administration allowed this to happen. I think it's a dereliction of duty. And uh, Senator Eric Schmidt, who was with us yesterday morning, said that that could be impeachable. And of course, they want uh, more answers to all of these questions. Um, But the question that we also have to ask is uh, this type of balloon, uh, what, uh, what 
risk does it really pose to all of us in the United States? Obviously, it was just a trial uh, to see what the Biden administration's response would be. And um, as Congressman Jim Jordan just said in the last segment, um, he thinks that was very effective, that the Biden administration is clearly signaling to our adversaries, hey, we're not going to do anything. So what kind of threat does uh, this really pose, especially to the electrical grid. So uh, Senator Bob Hall, who is uh, from the great state of Texas, where I know a lot of you are listening in from, uh, joins me now. And he issued a press release um, a few days ago that said a weather balloon over the USAA safety issue. Uh, He is highlighting the grid security risk. So Senator Hall, thank you so much for joining me today. And you know, tell us what, in your opinion, um, because you, you were formerly with the United States Air Force, an electrical engineer, uh, what kind of security risk does this pose to the electrical grid? And you have legislation uh, in the state of Texas right now that wants to remedy this. Yes, absolutely. Thank you for having me on to discuss this because it is an extremely high risk to the American people because it is one of the simplest and easiest ways to absolutely cripple America beyond recovery with one simple small nuclear weapon. Uh, we have known that uh, this nuclear weapon to, to cause an EMP or electromagnetic pulse um, as a weapon, we have known about this for decades now. Matter of fact, uh, one of the America actually one of our first high altitude nuclear tests in 1958 was done using a weather balloon to raise a nuclear weapon to about 85,000 feet and detonate it. And they discovered, uh, much to their surprise, the EMP pulse that came from that was significantly higher than they'd expected it to. And from there, it went on to further developments um, in in the early 60s with uh, the program called Starfish Prime, uh, where we were trying to uh, test large nuclear weapons in outer space, but we kept knocking out the power system in the the, uh, islands, and so we had to stop stop it. So we know about it. The Russians know about it. Uh, We know that the Russians know about it because they – folks that defected after the Soviet Union fell, they brought us classified documents that showed that a preemptive electromagnetic pulse, the MP attack on the United States, was their number one war scenario. And and so we know the Chinese have talked about it, the North Koreans have talked about it, we've seen the Iranians launch uh, medium-range missiles off of ships in the Indian Ocean, uh, um, and we have seen uh, Kim Jong-un uh, with his uh, missile program launching in a trajectory that would be the right trajectory for an EMP attack. So we know out there that the threat is real, and and the consequences of it are devastating to the United States. One small nuclear weapon, a couple hundred nautical miles above the Earth, could take out our electrical grid from coast to coast, and we could not recover from that. Now, with a, with a weather balloon, it'd probably take, uh, it would take uh, – more than one because of the low altitude of only 85,000 feet or so, uh, but simple enough to do. And I think what they learned out of this, not just the Chinese, assuming it was a Chinese balloon, but the world. Every, the world watched our reaction and showed that we weren't going to react. We were just going to sit and watch this thing. And so it, it's a terrible signal, a terrible signal to our adversaries saying, you know, we can sneak right up to the gate, climb over the wall, and the Americans will be there sleeping and maybe get up and fix us breakfast. 
uh, when we get in there. Uh, it's a terrible signal we have sent that, that we are no longer a sovereign nation. We have shown we have no borders, and now we're a, a, a flyover country that anybody that chooses to fly whatever they want to over can do it, and we're not going to do anything about it. it uh, Jenna, it is one of the scariest things from a threat of um, a foreign country taking advantage of us that, that I've ever seen. Yeah, and, and Senator Hall, uh, what you're saying makes so much sense, and yet the Pentagon, when asked about this last week, suggested that uh, this weather balloon, you know, shooting this down while it was over the continental United States would pose a greater security risk uh, because of the potential debris that they couldn't control. So it was totally fine to just allow, and they said, oh, we've we've assessed the threat, and it's uh, completely fine. We've, um, we've not allowed it to transmit any information. I don't know how they can possibly uh, know that. And do you believe that that is an excuse for them to have not uh, taken care of this situation, especially when this balloon, they knew about it, um, supposedly, and I think that the Biden administration has actually acknowledged that, when it was over the Pacific and over Alaska that was uninhabited, they could have shot this down easier. So why would the Biden administration just be totally fine with this trial balloon? I think it's because of the of the gross incompetence of what we have in senior senior leadership in the military today. You know, Obama had a major purge of all the really good officers while he was in. And so now what we have are kind of the dregs of what was left over. And Millie is a good example of those who uh, he is more interested in getting the pronouns right in his woke training than he is being ready for a to defend America. And the excuse they use is, um, you know, the worst thing about it is they expected the American people to buy their story hook, line, and sinker like, oh, wow, that's a good reason not to. It's absurd. There was there were most of the time that it was in the air, it was in locations in which they're very, very sparsely populated. Alaska, as long as it was uh, – any, most anywhere in Alaska, they could have shot this thing down and not hurt anything. Um, as it came down through Canada, that was most less mostly uninhabited land in there. And Montana, Montana has one of the smallest populations, and very much concentrated in the big cities, big state, uh, and the others. There was there was plenty of, of open area where it would be shot down. This thing wasn't going to splatter over over hundreds of acres, as we saw. They deflated the balloon, and it drops, and it'll be a very, very small area. Uh, and so once they determined it was not a nuclear weapon, and I believe that they could do that, I don't believe for a minute that they, that they, they have any knowledge of how successful they may have been in trying to prevent it from transmitting the data, which uh, I think most people recognize that it, its mission was a targeting mission. It was mapping to get uh, precise uh, locations. They went, spent a lot of time over the uh, Minuteman Intercontinental Ballistic Missile Sites in Montana, uh, finding exactly where they are so they could do a precision uh, strike on those facilities. Uh, so, and, and we have no way of knowing what, you know, what we did. We, we know the Chinese have done their mapping in other places, and they've done it before and, and, it, and got away with it. So, uh, this is this is just a total dereliction of duty. 
Yeah, absolutely. It's incompetency. And so so from the state level perspective, and I'm talking with uh, Texas State Senator Bob Hall, uh, you have legislation now to deal with this on the state level, because if an EMP actually occurred and, uh, you know, this is something that, as you've mentioned, uh, our foreign enemies have actually looked at, then it would totally wipe out the power grid. And this isn't just for, you know, a couple of days. This is our cell phones won't work, our cars that uh, are uh, relying on um, the obviously the electronics. I mean, everything would just come to a screeching halt. But states can make sure to protect their power grid. So what is your plan for the state of Texas? Well, we're, our, our bill is going to establish uh, a commission. Uh, it will include most of those state state agencies, and we'll be looking at what it's going to be developing a plan to protect the, not only the, the the electric grid, but the 16 um, critical infrastructures, uh, sewer and water and finance and, and law enforcement, first responders, et cetera, like that, of what needs to be done to weather a, a period of which we have no electricity while we're getting it restarted and and what we and determining what we need can do so that we can do a restart that will have the system may shut down but it will not be burned up right now today if we don't do if we don't do something the system will be burned up and will not be repaired repairable we need to have a system that can survive a a, uh, an EMP or a GMD, a ge- geomagnetic disturbance, which is a natural event from a sun uh, coronal mass ejection, but uh, be able to recover when that is over, when it, when it's when it's done. And so that's that's what our bill will do. And I hope that this is and becomes model legislation for states to create these types of uh, commissions to make sure that on the state level, uh, the state and local government is making sure to protect uh, the power grid and to make sure that their citizens in their states are protected, since clearly the federal government uh, not only is is not helping, but simply doesn't care. And um, and I think, you know, obviously the Biden administration, in my opinion, has um, a lot of other uh, more nefarious motivations uh, rather than just being totally incompetent. Um, but hopefully this will be model legislation. And I think the, the question on everyone's mind, uh, Senator Bob Hall, is why hasn't this already happened yet? Well, it's, it has not happened because, um, as my good friend who studied this uh, very carefully, uh, Mike Maybe, uh, said uh, there's two, at least 2.2 billion reasons why it hadn't happened. That's the $2.2 billion, at least that amount, that the power industry has spent lobbying against this to happen. Uh, so that is the main reason is that our, our uh, uh, elected officials uh, have caved in to the big bucks donations that come from uh, the power company and have just lined up on their side and to, to prevent the legislation from passing. It's the impact of the, of the lobby, uh, very misguided lobby, spending a lot of money. Uh, power companies that are run by executives who care more about uh, next month's paycheck and their b- big bonus for the year than they are about actually do- doing a job that would protect the American people. It sounds like big pharma lobby, you know, and all of these yeah. uh, giant lobbyist groups that um, that are really funding the government, and then the government 
ends up working for uh, th- whether it's big tech, big pharma, um, you know, big power, any any of these other entities rather than working for the people. And I know that this is um, a question that is on everyone's mind. And you know, maybe there are people out there who haven't um, thought about an EMP possibility. And there's a great documentary um, that I believe that you were also a part of, uh, Senator Hall, that is Grid Down, Power Up. And this is a um, documentary that is actually narrated by Dennis Quaid. Um, I actually had the the director on my podcast uh, a couple of months ago. So for anyone who's interested in that interview, you can go to the JennaEllisShow.com. Um, you can stream that on Rumble um, anywhere and you just uh, just type in you know that and look for a Grid Down, Power Up. But this is a great documentary that uh, really highlights this problem and goes into a lot more detail about uh, EMPs and the threat that this really poses. Um, and, and this is something that certainly people can share as well with their friends and family, um, you know, who may be um, just totally unaware that this is a looming threat. Um, if people also want to get involved, um, Senator Hall, how would you suggest that we counteract as citizens those giant lobby groups and as citizens um, form our own kind of uh, lobby groups and come and actually influence um, the state and, and local process, and especially there in Texas, uh, what would you encourage families to do? I would encourage everyone to become a citizen lobbyist. You know, our form of government uh, really was designed counting on citizens lobbying their government for things that they felt should be done or shouldn't be done. And uh, that's a major role, and everybody could do that. Uh, you have a representative in the Texas House. Uh, you need to spend time calling them, visiting them, writing to them uh, more than once. We have a governor, a lieutenant governor, uh, the same thing, right? Visit with them, uh, uh, bring up the subject, talk about it to your neighbors, get them to do the same thing. Not only do it yourself, but get others to do it, to let your representative and your and your senator uh, know that this is what you want this done and you want it done now. Uh and that, that's how our government's supposed to work. And so you become the lobbyist. And remember, one of the big differences between the, the, the power companies and you, you can vote for your representative and your senator. Most of the power companies can't. And so while they can influence them with money, you can influence them with your vote and others. And I think if you get, we get enough people uh, letting their representatives and the governor know that this is what you want. I think we can get this done. The only thing stopping us is the will to do it. Well said. Well, Senator Bob Hall, thank you so much for your work there in the great state of Texas. And I think that's such wise advice uh, to everyone who is looking at this and concerned and maybe feeling uh, helpless in terms of uh, not having the resources that some of these big lobbyists do. But you can, as Senator Bob Hall just said, become a citizen lobbyist. And guess what? That also includes your kids, especially for homeschool parents. You can even bring your kids down to the state capitol. And if they want to have a two or three minute prepared statement uh, when their citizen testimony that's taken in the state legislature on issues that uh, concern them or they have an opinion on, they can even testify. So uh, this is a way that we can reclaim our government and your vote is even more valuable than their dollars. So we will be right back with more of Jenna Ellis in the morning to talk about President Biden's State of the Union. What can we expect? Coming up next.
Some assumed the apostles were specially gifted men who were quick to grasp and apply Jesus' teaching. This week on Truth For Life, we'll find out how ordinary and fallible the disciples actually were. Discover why following Jesus demands a radical shift in thinking. Listen to Truth For Life with Alistair Begg. Weekday mornings at 1130 Central on AFR and online at AFR.net. Today's Issues is American Family Radio's flagship program featuring AFA President Tim Wilder. They're going to deny this till the Lord comes back. Right. And others, staff and friends of the American Family Association. Did they leak this? Was it intentional? Was it an accident? We want more answers. It's a part of history. You know, we need to know. Today's Issues, with the help of American Family News, making sense of the issues of the day. Weekday mornings at 11 Eastern, 10 Central on American Family Radio. He who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will be destroyed. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. The American Enterprise Institute conducted an empirical study to understand the decline of religious faith in America. They concluded the data seemed to show the main driver of secularization in the United States is government spending on education and control over the curricular content taught in schools. Why? Because children learn more at school than reading, writing, and arithmetic. They imbibe a whole set of implied assumptions about what's important in life. Faith in God becomes a sort of optional weekend hobby akin to playing tennis or video games. And our tax dollars pay for it. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. Hello, everyone. Tim Wildman, an update on our spiritual heritage tours in June and September. We're over halfway full. In fact, I think we'll probably be full in March sometime. Uh, the likelihood is great. So if you want to go with us on our spiritual heritage tour this year in June or September to Washington, D.C. and Mount Vernon, the home of George Washington, you need to go and visit our website so you can see the dates, the itinerary, the cost, everything you need to know at spiritualheritagetours.com, spiritualheritagetours.com. Now, in September, we're also going to Colonial Williamsburg, Jamestown, and Yorktown. So uh, we're going to do that trip in addition to the D.C. trip. So check it all out, June and September. Stephen McDowell, the Providence Foundation, will be with us. Go to the website, spiritualheritagetours.com, spiritualheritagetours.com. Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the Morning on American Family Radio. Well, Joe Biden is expected to give the State of the Union address tonight. And, uh, you know, we are on the brink of World War III. He just allowed a so-called weather balloon to traverse the entire length of the continental United States. And eggs are like 11 or $12 a dozen. I mean, I was at Whole Foods uh, last week, and I actually took a picture of this and put it up on my Twitter page saying this is just absolutely ridiculous. And so while reports are that Joe Biden is expected to tout his uh, economic recovery and uh, how much he is fulfilling his campaign promises, we know that it's going to just be lies and more inflation probably <laughs> in his speech, even than what uh, is going on right now in the United States. But we do have hope because 
uh, Governor Sarah Sanders out of Arkansas is going to deliver the Republican rebuttal. I am so excited for that. I think she's an excellent pick. Um, But someone who knows her even better than I do is my next guest, uh, Hogan Gidley, who was the former principal deputy press secretary for the Biden administration and worked under Sarah Sanders. Um, Of course, I worked with him as well during my time at the Trump 2020 campaign. And then he came over to be press secretary of that campaign. So uh, we've done a lot together. And Hogan Gidley, um, so excited to have you on the show. And first, your prediction uh, for how big of a failure Joe Biden is going to be tonight. I expect that he's going to actually read his, you know, his pause and some of these cues that are supposed to be silent out loud. What's your prediction? Oh, uh, 100 percent. Thank you for having me on, Jenna. Uh, Listen, there's no way Joe Biden, he can't get through a teleprompter speech with the scripted words, the scripted questions and the scripted answers without stumbling multiple times in the very short press conferences. You're telling me he's not he's going to be able to get through an hour plus long speech without making a complete fool of himself. Forget the policies for a moment. He's just going to look dumb up there saying the things that that we all know are untrue, but also stumbling over you know, every every 10th word. So it's going to be pretty bad. And I always point out the fact that when he does things like this and when he gives these speeches, it's not just the American media who are watching. It's not just the American people. It's the world. And if he continues to show weakness like he's been showing, then no wonder there are balloons traversing across the entire continental United States from communist China with little or no repercussion at all. No wonder Uh, People go uh, and attack American soldiers as he withdraws from Afghanistan. No wonder these things are happening on a global scale. Um, They're all happening because Joe Biden, you know, refuses to act, refuses to show strength. Putin is invading Ukraine, of course. That long war continues because uh, of his his feckless um, decision making. So regardless, I think we're going to be in for a a tough little bit here tonight. And, And, you know, Joe Biden never misses a chance to divide America to try and pit certain groups against other groups and sow division and hatred. I expect you're going to see more of that tonight in this speech. Yeah, I'm talking with uh, Hogan Gidley, who was uh, formerly the principal deputy press secretary uh, in the Trump administration. And uh, you are now also with America First Policy Institute, uh, which is uh, really great doing some excellent work there. Um, And Hogan, you raise a really good point that uh, Biden's last speech uh, that we saw, of course, from uh, Philadelphia was so divisive, so ridiculous, even in terms of the lighting. I mean, he looked almost like the Grammys, actually, (laughs) on Sunday right. night with, um, you know, all of this kind of Satanist red behind him and, um, you know, this really evil uh, look. And so uh, what can we expect from Sarah Sanders, who is giving the rebuttal? Um, she's the youngest uh, governor in the United States to be sworn in. Um, you know, of course, she was such an excellent press secretary. And you worked with her, I believe, in Arkansas even before she went to the Trump administration. So you know her personally uh, really well. So what can we expect from her, uh, what I expect to be kind of a fiery rebuttal? Well, I have to tell you, um, I worked for her dad, Mike Huckabee, when he was governor. So I've known Sarah since she was 19 years old. She and I have had a long relationship. She's a wonderful person. Loves the state of Arkansas, knows it inside and out. One of the reasons she was able to win so convincingly is because she doesn't take things for granted, just like her dad. She she did it the right way, went to all 75 counties, listened to voters, you know, developed a platform and a plan to, to fix a lot of the problems in, in the natural state. 
And then on top of that, she has the the international and national cred because she was in the Trump administration in, in high levels. So she understands Washington's propensity to overreach. And when I was in uh, Arkansas for the inauguration, listening to her speech there, I think we're going to see some of the same elements and the same themes. I've been talking to her, her group uh, over in Arkansas, talking to her. Um, I expect what we're going to see um, are some stark contrasts between Republican governance versus, um, you know, Democrat totalitarianism. I think you're going to see uh, uh, an understanding of why the governors are so important in this country to stop the, the strong arm of, of the federal government from coming in and trying to dictate to individual states. I think she's going to address that. I think she's going to address some of the division we see coming from the mouths of so many on the left and how the policies that Donald Trump put in place, the policies that Republicans are pushing for right now, improve the lives of all Americans, regardless of race, religion, color, or creed. And the exact opposite is true with what we're seeing with uh, the Democrats and the policies that, that promote division, that promote racism, and then on top of that, um, really go to, to hurt our, our own lives and the potential uh, future for greatness um, in, in our own in our own individual lives. So I think she's going to do a great job. She's always been adept at striking the right tone. There'll be some righteous indignation. Um, there'll be some some soft um, uh, you know elements. There'll be some humor, I'm sure, and there'll be some forward looking optimism. That's what the Republican Party is all about. That's what Sarah Sanders is all about. And I look forward to hearing from her tonight. Yeah, me too. And, you know, really well said, uh, Hogan Gidley. And, you know, I think that is what the American people need is more hope. And we need unity around common values as well. I mean, when when we look back at our founding, while the left would like to say, uh, you know, this was we, we were founded on racism and this was just, you know, a bunch of old white men and, uh, you know, the division, division, division. When we look back at the founding, I mean, before there were the three words, we the people, there were three, I believe, even more important words, which is this unanimous declaration, the declaration that recognized that our rights come from God, our creator, not our government, and set the mandate for our constitution and our supreme law of the land that recognized that government does work for we the people. And as you mentioned, it's so important, especially in the midst of a federal government that is overreaching, that is so divisive, that we recognize the concept of federalism and having state sovereignty and having governors like uh, Sarah Sanders, like Ron DeSantis and others in states that we can truly have hope to create a more perfect union, even in the midst of what we're seeing going on in Washington. And so um, I think that there is a lot of hope. And um, for the people who you know are watching this type of State of the Union address, I mean, it's kind of, in my opinion, become a little bit more theatrical than um, actually addressing Congress, um, you know, generally speaking, in terms of what it was intended for in the original context of the Constitution, I think has kind of gotten totally manipulated uh, just because of how media has evolved. Um, but what do you think that that Biden's real purpose for the Democrat Party? I mean, how is this even remotely helping him if we're seeing this type of contrast between a, such a divisive message versus someone who is filled with hope and focused on states' rights and focused on the people like Sarah Sanders? Well, look, I, I think Marie Jean-Pierre is the press secretary, but inside that room, save a couple of reporters from Newsmax and, and uh, OAN, maybe even uh, Fox, 
Um, the rest of them are her deputies. They go out and just parrot whatever she says without questioning it. So what you're going to see is because the left controls all their major levers of power and influence, it's, you know, Hollywood, uh, colleges, universities, big tech, and, of course, the mainstream media, the contrast will be stark to anybody listening to it. But the, you know, the replaying of this over and over and over again will be given to the American people through the filter of the mainstream media. So they're going to play what you what they want you to hear. I remember when Trump used to give his State of the Union address, if someone on the left or someone in the middle watched it in real time, it was a 72% approval. But then if you didn't watch it and you saw the coverage to the media, it was only a 30% approval. So what does that tell you about the way they cover it? But one thing I want to hit on that you said I think is important. We talk about the Constitution on the right, how much we love it and how much we respect it, and we, we do, we should. Um, here's the thing. The Constitution is so great, in part because it allows us the ability, quite frankly, gives us the right to be left alone. But remember, the people who want to win the game are always going to beat those who just want to be left alone. That's why getting involved is so important for us on the right. We have to remember that. That's why Sarah Sanders ran for governor, for example. That's why we have Ron DeSantis uh, you know, as governor in Florida. That's why Donald Trump is getting back into the to the ring as well, because people who sit on the sidelines, you know, we can complain. It's our country, but we have to get engaged and we have to get involved, whether that's school board elections at the local level, whether it's for state houses across the country, statewide offices or federal offices. We need to be engaged so we understand what they are trying to do to us through the culture, through politics, through policy. And the more people we have like yourself, Jenna, who are willing to get engaged on podcasts, have, have their own media outlets, et cetera, et cetera. That's how we're going to begin to turn the tide and remind the American people we do have a common thread. And it's that this country is still the greatest idea ever realized, a beacon of hope, of freedom, of, of, of mercy, of democracy, of strength all over the world. The left doesn't have that message because they don't believe it. We do, and we need to remind people why it's the truth. So well said. And, uh, you know, maybe you should be delivering the Republican rebuttal tonight, uh, Hogan Gidley, because <laughs> really well said. And, you know, uh, next time I talk to Sarah, I'll, I'll tell her that, that she can recommend you for next year. But, that's but the your pre, point rebuttal. That's a pre-buttle for her rebuttal. How's that? There you go. All right. Okay. So, yeah. So uh, you heard it here first on American Family Radio, uh, the pre-buttle from Hogan Gidley. But, but you know, such an important point that instead of having this kind of get off my lawn mentality, we need to have the get engaged mentality. And that's exactly what uh, you're doing as well um, in the context of, you know, having uh, worked with, um, w- with first with Mike Huckabee and then, of course, the Trump administration and now with, um, with AFPI. And, you know, as the vice chair of the Center for Election Integrity, that is such a critically important role as well. And so in just the last few minutes that I have with you, uh, Hogan, uh, what's going on there? Because I mean, the number one question I still get, um, and I think I will get for the foreseeable future until we really make sure that elections are administered freely and fairly, and there is a remedy for when they're not. um, I think a lot of people wonder how can they get involved in that process as well. So uh, what is AFPI doing and specifically uh, you and I think uh, Ken is is Ken Blackwell still uh, there as your chairperson as well he for is. the center. He's yep. amazing. He Love sure him. Um, so yeah. so, what's your focus and how can people help? Yeah, he was in Nigeria I think last week working to fix elections over there. So he understands. He's been doing this for quite some time. 
Look, people on the right and the left have been complaining about elections forever. And I was on the phone with a reporter just the other day. who said, oh, no, no, we didn't really talk about, uh, you know, uh, fraudulent elections until 2020. And I said, are you insane? The entire left called Donald Trump illegitimate in 2016. Hakeem Jeffries, the minority leader in the House right now, is an election denier. So is Karine Jean-Pierre, according to your definition. But go back to 2000. You had hanging chads and dimpled ballots in Florida. Well, we changed all that now, and we've, we've kind of transposed that with, with mass mail-in and drop boxes. But either way, there have been countless examples of irregularities, anomalies, uh, fraud, uh, illegalities going on in this country in the election process called out by both sides of the political aisle. And at AFPI, we're supposed to educate those because we're a 501c3, which means we can educate, we can't advocate. We give them data points at the state legislatures because, as you know, the Constitution gives that right and responsibility to decide the time, manner, and place of elections to the state legislatures. You talked about federalism. What works in Mississippi isn't going to necessarily work in Maine or Massachusetts or Montana. That's the process we have. But it's our job at AFPI to remind people, here are the policies that restore the faith, trust, and confidence in the election process that have been lost for so long. It's requiring photo identification to vote in elections, not voter ID, but photo identification. Eighty-five percent of the American people want that. Eighty-four percent of the American people want ballots to be returned to election officials by election day. They understand it's not election month, it's not election year. They get that it's a, a certain day set in time. Issues like that that the legislatures need to know and understand so when they pass them, they get the fact that the constituency in their states, regardless of it being blue or red, by the way, want these policies in place because they want to feel confident in the outcome of the elections. I'm telling you, you have to protect every single legal vote and every single legal voter. And the policies we're talking about at AFPI can do that. It's not that difficult to do. We just have to have some states out there who are willing to do it. We've seen massive success in the last sessions last year with 26 states banning Zuckerbucks, but they're still trying to go back to the well with that from the federal level, giving money to certain demographics in certain areas through different type of grant programs. We're discovering it, we're calling it out. But 2023, this is when all the states are in session. We have the opportunity to make some big strides. A lot of bills have been introduced already. A lot of things are moving through the process to stop ranked choice voting, for example, which is the process of basically ranking people who are in an election. If you get, all, if you get a majority of the votes, you may not even win the election. The whole thing's skewed. But we are focused on making sure that the American people understand what's at stake. They're educated about the issues and that these legislatures do the right thing in protecting their citizens. Excellent. Well, Hogan Gidley, thank you so much for the work you're doing. And uh, you can learn more at uh, AFPI. And we're looking forward, <laughs> to, I think, a little bit to Joe Biden's address tonight. But uh, follow Hogan Gidley uh, on Twitter. And I will see you tomorrow morning on Jenna Ellis in the morning. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.